You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, day jobs, bad habits, mental health, and the fleeting sense of sanity, worth, and dignity that we all chase under capitalism. We talk about trauma, we talk about art, we talk about spiritualism, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, mediocrity, and meritocracy. And we do talk about abuse, suicide, mental illness, drugs, um, you know, rough stuff. So be advised. Each week, artists, designers, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson, just a guy. Not an expert, not a doctor. In a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed? With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst. Do you want to confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on Self-Worst. Ah, hello everybody. Happy Friday. We're putting out an episode by the skin of our teeth. We are just coming in under the wire. I like to try and put these out uh, in the morning time, you know, before everybody has left for work. So you still got time to download it while you're on your Wi-Fi, when you're going to your commute. I mean, now is kind of in the before times. Now we're sort of all over the place. Some of y'all are still working from home. Some of y'all are still unemployed. Some of y'all have gone back to work and are commuting again or getting back out in the world. Who knows? But I like to try and keep myself on a timetable. But whatever. We're putting this out. It's late morning Friday. I've been up again like I do. I get up mad early and uh, get excited and listen to the episode that I just recorded and edit and uh, you know, wake up and, and, and experience light of a clear blue morning uh hope y'all are having a good week and weekend um i broke my fucking toe my proximal phalanx cool name for a bone and not a bad bone to break honestly if you're gonna break a bone how about your pinky toe not a bad break you know i i I'll, I'll tell you all about it. Listen to my Patreon, patreon.com slash self-worst. Subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. And I go into it. I have a whole episode about my fucking toe. I'm not going to repeat it. Because that's for the real ones only. Sorry. You want to know about my toe adventure? And maybe see some feet pics? You're going to have to pay me. That's just how it works. Sorry capitalism we live in it deal with it i'm taking the week off of work uh which has been you know nice i guess uh not i mean yes and no but i also you know i can't do any of my fun stuff i can't do my kickboxing can't do my jujitsu that's a bummer trying to stay in shape though can do some pull-ups can do some uh kettlebell stuff so trying to stay on the exercise wagon best I can with a hobbled foot. We'll get through it. 
not a big deal. Reading a book, reading Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher. I'm like halfway through, which would be impressive if it weren't like, it's like an 80 page book. So it's really not that big of a deal. Um, and I understand most of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm smart. I read books and shit. All it takes is for me to literally break a bone and have nothing else to do. And I can sit down and read. Anyway, I'm excited to talk to our guest today. We're talking to Elsa Eli Waith. Uh, they are a comedian, an activist, a teacher. You know, a lot of the things uh, that I listed in the beginning of the show. Uh, here in New York, they have a podcast called You're Fine. It's a comedy and mental health podcast. So if you're a fan of this show, you'd probably like that one. Um, they just started it, uh, them and uh, uh, this other comic, Corey Spencer. Uh, they just started it in like April. It's a fairly new podcast, but they're both seasoned comedians, performers, so they know what they're doing. And they both got a lot of mental health stuff to draw upon, which we're going to talk about. We're going to get into all of that stuff. We get into some shit. We get into some, we get into some stuff on this episode. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. So, uh, that's about it. Without any further ado, let's go to the talk with Elsa Eli Waite. So what are you what are you smoking? Uh, to, today I have some Georgia cake. Georgia it's cake. a yeah, it's it's a wedding cake uh, hybrid. I don't know what else it's mixed with, but I know it comes from wedding cake, and it's a indica dominant hybrid. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I do need to be still awake for the rest of the evening. <laughs> sure. That's the yeah. thing with Indica's. They tend to put me to sleep. I'm right now. I got a uh, blue cookie. I'm not enough of really like a connoisseur, I guess, to know exactly yeah. what the mix that is. Um, I also, I'm more of a sativa guy. Typically it's from the name. From the name, I'm going to go with that. It's probably, uh, some sort of girl scout cookie. Mm-hmm. Either mixed with blue dream or blueberry. That's what I'll go with. Yeah, that seems that seems right. Uh, so tell me about these uh, these classes that you're that you're teaching. Yeah, so I've been doing it for a few years now. Uh, it's called Gold Comedy School. We were we were originally called Gold Comedy School for girls. But uh, now it's just Gold Comedy School. Uh, so uh, girls and those who identify as girls and um, and trans folk. Uh, essentially, we like to um, amplify marginalized voices in comedy, right? And we think that if we want more women in comedy, it starts with more girls in comedy. If we want more diversity in comedy, it starts young, mm. right? Um, so uh, we, we like to say we're building up a farm team that will <laughs> eventually be the comedians of tomorrow, right? Um, and uh, right now, it's, it's all online. In fact, this is one of the things I think the pandemic helped right because before this we always wanted to do uh online portion online thing with this class right we would do in in person classes but sometimes difficult to keep a brick and mortar building right yeah 
so we always wanted there to be an online portion in case we don't have a building but you know there was a lot of naysayers and nobody wants to learn comedy online nobody wants to learn comedy online and then um the pandemic and everybody started doing everything online and so our our, our classes definitely boom, started booming so i do i do a, uh, i think each class is like four to five weeks and i do one about every month or every other month mm-hmm. and um i can guarantee you'll have jokes by the time the class is done what is uh what's the youngest uh that people start um i've had 13 and 14 year olds in our class okay yeah, thirteen and fourteen year olds, um, all the way all the way up to fifty and sixty year old women. What do they tend to want to joke about? What's their material? Men. Mm. <laughs> um, no, it really it really spans the gamut, which is what you know. Not I'm not going to say surprised by, but what I'm most pleased with is um, that you 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 see all all the different styles in comedy, uh, uh, and reflected in these young women and young people. Um, and I, I, I just like watching them sort of come out of their shells, yeah. you know, um, I think why uh, you hear a lot from women comedians that they didn't start in comedy until later in life. Right. Because they had like a job or kids yeah. to take care of or just didn't think it was something that for them, you know, um, and I like to play this little joke. Like when you, I want you to think of your middle school or high school. Uh, class clown mm-hmm. you're probably thinking of a boy aren't you uh yeah yeah <laughs> Be- yeah because uh humor drawing attention to yourself physicality making mistakes or being embarrassed or whatever is is something you know that we we tell girls you can't do yeah right you know you can do everything but you know not as much as the boys mm. So uh, just humor is a power tool. It's a power tool, right? Yeah. So I, th- I think everybody should have uh, equal access to it, equal access and equal opportunity. I mean, yeah, I'm thinking about it, and you're right. And what's even – I mean, I, I went to – I had yeah, I was like a theater kid, and so there were some really funny girls in, in my class. Um, but – the majority of people who I would describe as like the quote unquote class clowns um, tended, yeah, to be dudes and not only dudes, but like the more, I don't know. Obnoxious, obnoxious ones. <laughs> yeah. They weren't, they weren't like the, uh, the smarter kids, the, mm-hmm. the more sensitive artistic kids who maybe become funny later because we were all just fucking awkward and like didn't right, really right. know how to, how to capture it just then. And, you know, we had, I don't know, like I was, I wouldn't say I was shy, but I was a lot more introverted when I was a kid. And I I just was not, you know, I don't, I didn't think that I even like, I don't know. Um, But, but like, it goes back and forth because I was like introverted, but I also was like a big like Tom Green and Jackass fan, you know? Yeah, yeah. So like, Um, I I was like kind of this like weird, uh, I don't know, yin yang person. Yeah, I just what I just find is that we allow our boys to make more mistakes than we allow our girls Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? 
um, and it starts very early. Uh, I remember being um, in high school, getting in trouble for stuff that my my male or my white counterparts would, you know, get a little slap on the wrist for. I, I got to stay back for detention now, or I got in school suspension, you know. So, I I I, I remember being un- unfairly punished for being outspoken or yeah. being silly in class or whatever in a way that other kids could and i couldn't so um yeah if you ask anybody from high school who knew me from high school they would definitely describe me as a class clown on that note um let's let's do like a little brief origin story um let's you know when you started getting interested in comedy performance um and and teaching and uh the things that you do now as a grown-up yeah you know what i said i i've always been funny i've always been humorous and people have always told me that in fact when i told people i was starting to do comedy they were like oh wow wow, you weren't doing that before Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but growing up i was a always somewhat of a self-starter Right, I was an only child, so I was only child to a single mother, so a lot of stuff just fell to me regardless. Um, but I was a self-starter, uh, and I always liked making people laugh. And uh, as I got older, I didn't go to college or anything like that. I I just went right into the working world, and I found that all of my best and favorite and you know most accomplished jobs were in sales, hmm. right? And that's essentially very analogous to comedy, right? You got to have the gift of gab. You got to be able to read people. You got to be able to think on your feet, you know? And what I learned in sales is that people don't buy your product. People are buying you. Yeah. Like, yeah, they may want the product or they may need the product, but your personality is the push that, you know, gets them over the the line. Even if it's a shitty product, people just buy the shitty product because they like you, you know, and they feel like doing you a favor or something. So when I've, I was, um, the, the exact origin story of me getting into comedy was that I didn't go to college. All of my friends seemed a lot more successful than me. I was in a dead end job at the dead at the dying mall, you know, in my town. Like this mall was dead most days. Mm-hmm. This um, this was where this was. You're from oh, Virginia. Uh, yeah, Norfolk, Virginia. I was okay. in Norfolk, Virginia. If you tell anybody about Military Circle Mall, they know exactly what you you're talking about. Military Circle Mall is kind of like if BET had a mall that <laughs> nobody went that nobody went to. Okay. Um. So yeah, uh, I was I was uh, working a sales job at the dying mall. And I had just gotten out of a really intense breakup and just life was bleak. And I felt like, shit, I, I think I might take myself out even, you know. Um, yeah. And I was on probation at the time because I also was having legal problems. And my probation officer says, well, look, there's got to be something you want to do. You spend all this time learning how to drink. Right. And now you have you can't drink anymore. You got idle hands. Right. Yeah. You're a dry, you're a dry drunk. You're still an alcoholic. You're just not drinking. You got to replace it with something. What were you in trouble for? <laughs> for drinking. For I'll just uh I, with, I, like minor in possession shit. No, I, yeah, something like that. I got in trouble when I was still in high school for alcohol mm. and it happened when I was 17 and then uh, it was like it wasn't until like 18, 19 I was go you know going to court for it. So I was an adult at that time, 
but they couldn't like because the incident happened when I was a child right. or whatever. They put me on juvenile probation or whatever, and I had to go to these like drug and alcohol classes because I got caught in high school with a bunch of liquor in my bag, right. um, because I was an alcoholic early. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I says, "Well, yeah, there is something I want to do." I was like, "I think I want to try stand up comedy," and she was like, "Cool." Next time I see you next month, you're going to come back with clean piss and you're going to tell me about stand-up comedy. And at first I was just like, yeah, sure. I'm not, you know, I, I say I want to, but am I actually going to do it? Probably not. Right. And then I actually just, I had a really bad, like depressive night. I was on the verge and I called my friend and I says, listen, um, you have to, tomorrow night, you have to take me to the open mic. Right. There was an open mic uh, in the neighborhood. It was a poetry open mic, but I but I just knew it was a place that would let anybody on stage do anything they want, right? right? So I just I had a journal that I had been writing. Not I didn't even know jokes. I don't know. I don't know what I was writing. I didn't know how to write a joke, but I just wrote some humorous thoughts, and I was just like, I'm just gonna go on stage and read these humorous thoughts, get it off my chest, and then I'll kill myself, right? Like, right. very logical, right? So yeah, um, that I mean that that's a very uh, condensed comedy career because usually people work in comedy for a good you know, 10, 20 years. No, 30, I was. Then they kill themselves. <laughs> no, I, I was, in fact, much to the chagrin of the Hampton Roads comedy community, I was actually very funny right away, mm. right? Like, not to toot my own horn, but beep, beep. You know, I was winning winning comedy competitions in, in the first six months of me doing comedy, you know? So I, I just got really funny really fast, and I had a unique opportunity to move here to New York because that's where my dad's side of the family is. My dad's, my aunt lives right down the street from me. So mm. I had an opportunity to move to New York, unlike a lot of other people. So I said, okay, well, if everybody down here thinks I'm funny, then maybe I could take it to New York. And the rest is history. I got here in 2013. Mm -hmm. I've lived in New York City on and off my whole life, seeing as though I had family here. But this is the first time I was living here with like a purpose to do something. Right. And uh, it was purpose driven, and uh, yeah, sort of worked out for me. <laughs> I mean, so I've done I've done open mics as well, and I've I've gone to more of them than I've actually even participated in. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I've always noticed, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, because people who do comedy will talk about the horror of open mics and and how. Uh, how cringe it is, how, how desperate it is. Um, yes. and I try and meet that with a little bit of empathy because like, I mean, there's people like you on that stage who are like, I'm going to either do this tonight or I'm going to kill myself, you know? And so <laughs> yeah, I try and, a lot I of pressure to, to put that. on the audience. It's a lot of pressure. Well, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of just pressure in every direction. Um, yeah. because it's just like, I, I understand that, uh, open mics are real uncomfortable places, but you have to, you have to know what energy it is that drives people to get up and tell those jokes. And when you say yeah. you, you were funny right away, I mean, I can see that because you were, you seem to be on that extreme end of the spectrum. You know, yeah, you, it you was, don't, it you was don't gonna... just drink. You're, you're a teenage alcoholic. You don't just like get like kind of depressed and fucked up. You're going to kill yourself when you're 20, you know? And yeah. so like, you don't just like want to do comedy. You're going to do comedy or die. 
You're one of yeah, those. and I was actually very lucky because the open mic back in Virginia that I I, I first went to, um, shout out to the uh, venue on Thirty Fifth Street, V three five. Those people became family. Those people became family because they uh, it actually wasn't a lot of comedians there. In fact, over time, as I started to be there more and started to meet more of the local comedy community, I'm like, hey, you guys should come to V35, right? They're like, hey, isn't that a poetry mic? And I, I guess I just thought in my mind that if I can come up here and 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 make a funny joke in between this girl's rape poem and this girl, this guy's like, daddy didn't love me poem, right. and I'm like, hey, you guys, let's talk about dicks and farts, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> if did I you, could make did you those put it in, people in, in laugh. Poetic form though? Did you do like uh dirty I, limericks? Or I did one funny time okay. I did one time do a funny poem to sort of make fun of the poetry crowd because uh Well, I mean it, they, they all are kind of it, Yeah, it's, it's easy a, to make it's fun a pretty of them. Easy shot to take, make it you know it, like yeah, and what was nice was everybody, you know, was able to, you know, not take themselves so seriously. Or I was whatever. gonna ask, like, because that's the other thing is people do tend to take themselves a little seriously. No, it, it was, was a well great. Received. People were okay. With it was it. a great community of uh, poets, so- singers, songwriters, uh, storytellers. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it was just a really dope group of artists who a lot of us have now moved on to other cities, other states, other endeavors some of us have become parents now but we're all still connected by this one space if i went back home to virginia i'd have to go to the open mic you know um i have a picture i have a picture of the building on my refrigerator because that place they embraced me i remember my first night being there and just you know i'm just going to read out of this notebook and see what happens and folks laughed you know and i'm sure some of it was just like you know a little pity laughs too but folks genuinely did laugh and Hey, are you gonna come back next week? Like, oh well, damn. I guess I got to stay alive for another week because people are expecting me. And I lived my life like that week to week for several months, just wanting to get back to the open mic and try something new, and wanting to get back to the open mic. And I think for like two, three months, I had a new five minutes every Monday. You know, um, I was just so hungry like that. Have you experimented with other? Uh, art forms or like what is it about comedy that uh, is I mean it seems like you have sort of a natural propensity for it but uh, also you know you I think maybe it did at some point choose to do comedy um, not knowing whether you know whether or not you're going to be good at it Um, so what was um... it about comedy that you know was like oh this is gonna be my thing I'm a I'm I'm a natural storyteller, which is funny because my, one of my bigger credits is NPR's This American Life, mm-hmm. um, and I I told a story on 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 there, um, and I'm a sort of a natural storyteller. So, uh, but storytelling is not actually. Wait a like, minute, what was the story you told? I told a story about uh, getting a, uh, arrested by a very attractive police officer at a Black Lives Matter protest. Oh, yeah, I don't know if I've heard uh, that one. Episode five seventy one. Okay, part oh, two. I, I, I go in and out of uh, this American life. You know, I'm such a podcast. Yeah, I actually I didn't realize how big of a I didn't realize how big of a show it was until huge. they asked me to. Huge. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know. But that was my first major credit. My Twitter mm. blew up. My uh, my my English teacher from from high school like hit me up or whatever and uh so yeah i i like telling stories and i like making people laugh but i i feel like i'm a little more drawn to stand up than other forms of humor 
like I don't like improv because I don't like to, you know whether I'm funny or not to be determined by like another person. Right? Improv like is, improv is very very hard to make anything good. I, yeah, I, I think I've seen it's, like it's of all the improv groups in New York, I've seen I think I've seen two that I really like. You know, um, otherwise improv just feels like I'm watching someone's really long inside joke that I'm not in on. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it just it it's. It's some of the more cringe things. And, you know, as a person who's been to a lot of open mics, uh, having gone to, you know, just UCB several times just to see uh, various improv groups, like, it's just like, it can be. Yeah, so I don't, it can be I don't like, time. yeah, I don't like the unpredictable, unpredictability of 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 improv or like i said having to rely on an, another person yeah. or another group of people if this is going to be good because you can be out there improv and your ass off and your partner just is trash and that brings down the whole thing mm. um and i don't necessarily like storytelling because you're locked into one story and if you realize that story's bombing like halfway through you can't just be like okay we switch to another topic right, right. so i i like the free form of stand up, I like the individuality of of stand up, and uh, I just I, I prefer it better. I, I, I like being able to jump around to either jump around to a bunch of different topics or stick on one topic if I want. You know, I remember one time I was doing a set for um, some folks uh, at a senior center, senior living center, and I realized I was like doing a bunch of like social media jokes. And like while they underst while they understood what I was talking about, none of it was funny to them, right? And I was just like, I'm not doing the right jokes for you guys, am I? And I was just able just to switch, you know what I'm saying? And they laughed at that. Yeah. And like, you know, if I was telling the story, I was I'd be stuck in that story, you know? There is nothing better, honestly, as an audience member watching somebody gracefully bomb. Watching somebody's yeah. just like their material just isn't working, but they are so seasoned and so just sort of indestructible on stage that they'll just be like, they they somehow make it funny that they're not doing well. And yeah. it's really cool because they're just like, okay, that's fine. Like, you, you don't like what's going on. I still got five minutes, though. So, yeah, you know, I remember like they, just, they just get fucking through it. It's great. I remember doing. Um... I mean, at that point, I'd already won two competitions, but I did a comedy course back home because the guy who ran it was like, look, I don't know if this batch of this batch of students is going to be good. He's like, I can you do the class? I'll let you do it for free. And that'll give them something to, you know, sort of strive for. Right. right. Um, and I said, yeah, about five or six weeks into the course i think it's like an eight week course right i remember it being like maybe an eight week course i think about five or six weeks into the course they do this thing called hell day where he gets a bunch of other com local comedians to come in and pretend to be audience and then he gives each person uh, a, a, a scenario but he doesn't tell you what your scenario is until you get up on stage and he's handpicked the scenarios to what he thinks you're weaknesses right? right you know what my scenario was complete and total silence because i had not yet dealt dealt with that i had already won competitions and i'm not used to I'm not used to nothing happening right and so i got on stage i told two jokes and the you know the other comedians were instructed not to laugh not to look at me just you know or if they are looking at me stone face you know you got to go stone face or whatever and even though i knew it was a made-up and uh my only 
my only thought was to just uh push through the set and just keep just keep going just keep going like like folks are laughing put the pauses in where the pauses go and just mention it once or twice and keep going and right. you know he told me like that was that was the best thing i could have did like i didn't walk off the stage i didn't get angry at the audience you just keep going you know how did that feel up there during that time and just like just oh god it in, felt in, in awful silence it felt awful that's only really actually happened to me one time I don't, that's only you know beyond that scenario that's only happened one time it's that was that was the only time i've ever got off stage went to the bathroom and cried oh you know i would much rather you boo me or walk out or give me something to work with but silence is the, is awful silence is awful i wouldn't wish silence on my my worst comedian enemy mm. has, has that ever happened to you uh booze and and walking out and shit Ha! Yeah, the one time I've actually gotten booze and walking out. Um, well, no, I've had two two walkouts before, uh, uh, but they were Mormons, not Mormons. What are the um, the Amish? I don't know. I guess they were Amish on the Rum Springer or whatever. Oh. The show was Amish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was Amish, Amish people on a Rum Springer. You know, still, I think so. I think so because the audience was already small. Right, it was a small, intimate audience of only about maybe ten or twelve people. So, um, uh, it was one straight guy, one gay guy, mm -hmm. and me. And I could see they were uncomfortable with the gay guy. So I got on stage, and uh, you know, they were like, "Not gay and black." Right. <laughs> and so they left, and like, they were the, they were. It's because it was only like ten or twelve people. It was. Cr crazy obvious when they got up and left and right uh you know i just made a joke about it i guess i was like i guess rum spring is done um <laughs> and then another time i another time i did get booed um this is when i was doing the story for this american life i had it recorded i sent the recording in they liked it and they were originally going they were originally going to go with the recording and then they were like hey can we record it with our equipment and our audio or whatever so they had me redo this story three more times in three more different venues and three audiences and the first two times it wasn't i was like look you guys i think i might have captured lightning in a bottle with that one story and i don't think we can replicate that again you know i couldn't tell the story again in the same way i couldn't get the a a, a good receptive audience and that third time uh i was at uh, I was at a comedy club. It it, it rhymes with Schmroadway, mm -hmm. uh comedy club, uh, and that place already has a bit of a rep, right? And the joke is about me, you know, the story is about me getting arrested at a BLM protest and finding the police officer attractive, and that sort of being incongruent with my politics, right? Right. And I just got into the start of the story, and all I said was at a Black Lives Matter protest. And some Whitey McWhiterton in the back corner was just like, boo, boo. And then the <laughs> other half of the audience was like, the other half of the audience was like, shut the fuck up, guy, like in the back corner. So then he got into an argument with some other woman, right? And then and then he got up and flew it through his chair and walked out. And I still have 15 more minutes on stage. I just started. Um, 
And so then I was like, you know what? Fuck this story. Because this is now at this point the second time they've had me do it. So I was almost I was just like, all right, fuck that story. I'll just tell some jokes. And then the audience was like, no, tell the story. We want to hear it. I'm like, oh my God, I actually don't want to do it now. <laughs> so I still I did the story. I got through it as fast as I could. I definitely left out I definitely left out a bunch and then just salvaged the rest with with just jokes. Just I went right into my stand-up material. Um right. Uh, but nobody laughed at the story because it was funny because that, that all started to lean in like we are listening yes we care yes i'm like nope nope this is supposed to be funny um <laughs> wow so it, it 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 was that was maybe the one time i remember getting booed and and kind of eating a bunch of shit for a while right it was awkward so um you've had i bombed at a 10 year old's birthday once <laughs> I mean, that's already got to be a weird gig. Unless, w- were you 10 at the time, too? Uh, this, I don't know. This is like a, just like a friend's birthday, or this was... No, no, they, they wanted... I think this was the mom's idea. I think it was a, the mom's idea, because right. I don't know any child who would want who would want this but she she rented out a, a comedy club for the day and had all this fucking food that they didn't eat. It was delicious. I fucked it up. Um... And she wanted a comedy show for her kids. And there were all 10, 10, like eight, nine, and 10. None of them had the fucking attention span. I don't, ha- I only have what, a, one joke about Pokemon, yeah. one joke about fidget spinners. And then after like about that, I just started making jokes to the parents. You know, like I was telling the kids, like, listen, you got to listen to your parents and go to school or else you'll be doing comedy for a birthday party at at right. one o'clock in the afternoon you know um so i was entertaining the parents more so than anything and then the mom wanted the kids to come up and have an open mic and each of them tell a joke mm. it was awful and then eventually she just got on the mic and she just told jokes i'm like this is what you wanted to do the, in the first place damn it yeah you know what you really could have cut out the middleman there like she could have just this gone to a really fucking open wanted. mic i mean i got paid 300 dollars for it but okay. i ate all sorts of shit for that Wow. I mean, I yeah. can only, yeah, I can think so. of few audiences. I mean, you know, there's, there's the classic like bachelorette party that every comedian dreads getting, but I think yeah, like a group awful. of 10 year olds might be worse. I don't know. Cause you, you can't yell at them really. I don't know. I was expecting, well, no, I was expecting them to be more rowdy or whatever, but and they weren't rowdy. They were polite to sit there, but you could tell their minds were all over the place. Right. You know, I did mention Fortnite once, and they lost their shit. They all wanted to show me their phones because apparently you could play f- Fortnite on the phone, and all these kids pulled out phones that were like three times better than mine too. And I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the wrong fucking thing. I am in the wrong fucking place. You know. Right. Um, <laughs> Oh, so, to be a, a, I mean, a wealthy ten-year-old. I had New to Yorker. like wrangle them back into their seats. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was maybe about the only time I had to wrangle them back to their seats. But they were polite enough, but they, they weren't paying attention, and I didn't have material for ten-year-olds, dude. So uh, it seems like you've had a pretty so, rough yeah. year. I mean, COVID aside, um, you let's see, you went to rehab, you um, got hit by a car. Uh, or, or you broke your ankle in some way, right? It was a car. Yeah, in a, yeah, yeah. Hit and run. And you, uh, you were you were diagnosed uh, with type two diabetes. Uh, so yeah, tw- 
oh my god 2020 was really trying me man every was, every yeah. month was a new fucking new fucking thing yeah i found i had diabetes uh january 31st uh -huh. it was a fun that was actually a really fun day right because that morning i was at court for uh ftp2 protests uh, i got arrested uh like a month or so prior uh protesting the mta fare hikes and mm -hmm. the increased policing in the subway so i got arrested you know about a month prior so that morning was court uh went to court got a slap on the wrist it was kind of just fun to hang out in court with my comrades you know we had right. a nintendo switch there <laughs> um the afternoon i go to my doctor and my doctor is like uh you know, he's like, so what brings you in today? I says, my eyes, my eyes have been getting kind of weird, right? And he's like, oh yeah, that 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 typically happens when you get diabetes. And I didn't say anything at first, right? I'm like, Di diabetes. And uh, he says, well, have you been, have you been managing your diabetes? I was like, hold up, doc, you got the wrong chart. I don't think I got diabetes. I don't got diabetes. He was like, oh yeah, yeah. I was like, follow up. I had gotten an STD test and I had some other blood labs done. So when they called me for the STD test to tell me that I ain't had no STDs, right? A few days later, the phone, the same phone number was calling. So I was just like, okay, this is like a spam thing. They're just trying to tell me I don't got no STDs. I didn't answer it. Nope. That was a phone call to tell me that I had diabetes, but they can't leave that type of message on your answer machine either. So they called me several days in a row and. I just never called back because I thought it was about the STD test, right? right? Fast forward six months later and my eyes are just like not working. And I was like, doc, I don't have diabetes. And he's like, yeah, you do. And he like slides my, my chart to me. He's like, oh my God, was this the first time you're hearing of this? I'm like, what? Hearing of what? He's like, that you have diabetes? I'm like, I don't have diabetes. Like, but he, they did a blood test right then and there, and right. I did, and I just had to walk out of the hospital like, okay, well, this is interesting. And then later on that evening was another protest for the same thing, that I got arrested at that one, too. Uh, and because there were no female officers at the precinct, um, sexism, uh, they couldn't pat me they couldn't give me a full search so they just kept me in the handcuffs for two hours and then they realized they can't keep me in the handcuffs for that long so they just took them out and they're like you, you've learned your lesson right you're gonna go home right and i was like yeah i'm gonna go home and uh i walked home because thankfully i got arrested in my neighborhood but i walked home and then stepped in dog shit so i was like trifecta for the day <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was january 31st then a month later, I had to go to rehab because I was already having a bad, having a bad time. And then finding out you've got a fucking chronic disease and not getting any support from your family, that sort of pushed me over the edge. And I was, I think, I don't know because I was blackout drunk, but I think I tried to kill myself a couple of times. The last time I woke up and I couldn't raise my arm above my head. I couldn't raise my arm above my head. My shirt mm. was torn. Um, on one side my pants were torn on one side and my knee was swollen so i don't know i think i might have i don't know but i think i might have like ran out into traffic or some shit i have no clue but just one side of me was all jacked the hell up when i woke up in the morning and i was just like all right well i don't want to accidentally kill myself like <laughs> right again really weird thoughts i'm like if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it on purpose so i was like i'm gonna go to rehab 
We're going to clean ourselves up. And then that way, when I do kill myself, nobody can say it was a drunk accident. I did it on purpose. Right. You know, um, so just, you know, that's the level of crazed thinking I was going through in February of last year. Uh, and I went to rehab and I thankfully went to rehab right before the coronavirus really kicked off because I had I waited, I probably wouldn't have. Uh, when I went into rehab, we had 66 confirmed cases. Right. And they right. were all on that. They were all on that boat. Remember, there was like a boat. that Yeah. It was like a cruise ship and they couldn't let anybody off the cruise ship. And like slowly everybody on the cruise ship caught coronavirus. The time at the time, I remember, I remember a distinct memory seeing that the day I went in and those were our only cases, only confirmed cases. Because we, you know, now that it had been oh, here yeah, since it, December. Oh, yeah, it had been here. Yeah, it had been here the whole time. Yeah, but at that point, we only had 66 confirmed cases. Yeah. When I was coming out of rehab, like exactly three weeks later, everybody was panic buying at the grocery store. And two days later, the schools were shut down. And I was just like, oh, oh, so I'm just going to be super, super aware for the end of the world, right? Right. <laughs> just your raw super, dog in the apocalypse. Just, yeah, I mean, and I stayed sober. I stayed sober. And people asked like how it happened. And I was just like, I was, a too, I was too afraid to start drinking again, because I knew I had no reason to stop. Right. right. Um, in, in, pre, in the months previous, I, w I was working in an after school program. I was teaching STEM and coding to kids, uh, middle school kids or whatever, and elementary school kids. So I had to get sober for after school. So it's like, you know, just be sober by two o'clock, just be sober by three o'clock. And I could I could manage that. You know, like I hadn't gotten in trouble at my job or anything. In fact, when I told my job I was going to rehab, they were like, why? Right. <laughs> so I was able to keep it together for work, but there was going to be no work to go to. Um, I, I, right before I went to rehab, you know, she broke up with me. But right before I went to rehab, there was a girl I was seeing and she would come over and I'd be able to, you know, clean up a little bit or not drink so much around her. No girlfriend was coming to check on me. I went to go stay at my lawyer's house. He went out of town. I'm in. So I'm in Manhattan when I'm typically in Brooklyn. I'm in Manhattan. Nobody knows where I'm living. So no roommate or nobody's going to come check on me. Right. And we're up on the fifth floor and I like to to run out in front of stuff or jump in front of stuff or whatever. So I was too afraid to drink. You know, I was like, yeah, this is, if it was, it was going to kill me before, it's definitely going to kill me now. And every day I stayed sober felt like three days. So technically I've kind of been sober for like three and a half years at this point. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's what I like to joke around, about around with people. Every, every coronavirus day counted as three days. Congratulations. I, I mean, that's, um, yeah, it's, I, I can't imagine. I, I mean, definitely my, uh, consumption went up under uh, COVID, as I think it did with yeah, everyone, a lot of people. I remember there was some fucking, went up. there was some article uh, that was about that. That was just like, well, more Americans are, uh, you know, uh, drinking and smoking weed and, and, and uh, watching porn than, than they normally do. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What the fuck do you want from us? We're like yeah, all we're stuck all in, in home. Like it's it's the end of everything. What are you doing? What like of course? Yeah, I just sort of redefine my relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Redefine my relationship with pot. I um, but uh, I I might have an occasional beer, you know. But the the there's rules now. We don't drink alone, right? So I have to be in a social setting. 
and I'm not, I, I cannot be drinking to change a mood. So if I'm sad, I can't drink to try to change that. If I'm angry, I can't drink to try to change that. Right. You know, um, and, and, and above all else, probably just don't drink. So I can count on one hand how many times I've drank this year, 2021, and zero of those times resulted in me getting drunk, you right. know. Just well, see, because that's um, that's the thing we've talked about this. Um, I've talked about this with previous guests on the show who um, who have been to rehab, who have gotten sober, um, and who didn't go, you know, full on absolute sobriety, uh, like no substances whatsoever. Um, and yeah, because you know, that's often that's usually I would say like the conventional approach to you know to it and like the AA model and things like that um but um you know what i yeah i mean AA as model, a, as an yeah. outsider of you know addiction i don't consider myself an addict um but i i consider it in the mental health realm um i i right. want to i want to help people understand that there are other you know that if you are experiencing a a problem with a substance Total sobriety is often the way to go, but it is not necessarily the only way. And like, because I have, you know, talked to people who have had substance abuse issues in the past who, yeah, I go still to use things, I go to, but um, they don't, you know, they use it in a different way. They've, they're working on their mental health in some other way. Yeah. I uh, I go to I've, I've for the last three years I've gone to uh, a harm reduction program, so it's at the it's at the Addiction Institute of Mount Sinai. The pro, it's called Ames Addiction Institute of Mount Sinai, um, and I've benefited greatly from a harm reduction standpoint than in previous times when I did AA. Um, and you'll hear you'll hear this sometimes about why AA is ineffective for some people because that all or nothing approach tends to put a lot of stress on people, right? And then when you or relapse, there's a difference, but when you lapse or relapse, the feeling of guilt is so intense that a lot of people don't get back on the horse, you know? Um, so what I like about my um, harm reduction program is let's figure out what's causing you the most harm, what is you know is it how you use is it when is it where like what is causing the issue and then let's work on that right and so there are people in my i, have, I take group therapy i go to group therapy and i do one-on-one -on -one with the um i do one-on-one -on -one with the therapist that does our our group therapy too and folks in our group therapy are in different places in their sobriety some people want to quit this thing but this other thing is not a problem for them some people want complete and total absence some people just want to practice moderation or whatever right. so um I, I i first you know for for a whole year and some change you know i was drink nothing sober and what i needed to do obviously or honestly what i realized is that i had a lot of emotional issues that were wrapped up in and around my drinking and then just being able to remove the alcohol out of the way allowed me to work on some of those issues, you know, and get them to a better place to where, you know, now I understand exactly how the alcohol affects with those issues, emotional, mental issues. And then another thing that we say in group is never say never. 
So never say that you'll you'll never get sober because then you won't. Um, and never say that you'll never drink or do your drug of choice again, because if you do, then you'll feel like shit for breaking that promise to yourself. So I usually just say it's not for me right now. Not today. Hmm. You know, um, I think about like, what do I got to do today? What do I got to do tomorrow? You know, do I absolutely need this drink or, you know, what do I want it for? It's a lot more like, uh, was it CBD, a CBT cognitive behavioral right. therapy. So just thinking, more, just putting a few extra minutes in between my thought about the drink and the actual execution, half right. the time I don't even half the time I don't even get to to the drink. I, you know, I got my hamster. I pro, I purchased my hamster. You uh, have a hamster. Yes, I uh, yeah I love hamsters, uh, and I got one a little baby. She's 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 my baby. Well, she's not a baby, but she's my baby. My little handheld potato. Uh, I, her name's Butter. Butter. Yeah, I got her in December because I felt like uh, I felt a really strong urge to drink. Me and my partner um, had gotten into our like our first maybe like argument, like our first like we raised our voices and like I walked out type right. argument. And the next morning I was feeling awful, awful. I thought she might break up with me. You know, I was just thinking all the, the, the doom scenarios, right? And uh, she was like, you know, let's just take the weekend and we can talk on Monday. Right. Well, that was it was a Saturday. And I'm like, fuck, I don't know if I can make it till Monday. And I was just feeling really lonely and really sad. And, you know, I wanted to drink. And I was like, well, stop. Why do I want to drink? It's because I'm worried about my relationship and I feel lonely and I feel sad. I was like, OK, well. We can do something about lonely, you know, so I. I wanted a, a companion. I didn't want to be any friends, but I wanted a companion. So I actually just like that afternoon called up an Uber, went to PetSmart and purchased a hamster. And, and that was my whole afternoon instead of drinking, you know? Mm. So I just had to like investigate what it was that was causing the craving, causing the, the feeling. And it's a lot of thinking about thoughts. A lot of harm reduction is just sort of thinking about your thought. Hmm. Hmm. investigating i like to call it investigating your thoughts so i mean this isn't exactly surprising to me but it sounds like uh your relationship with weed was never uh as as problematic uh as as your relationship with alcohol um no i mean <laughs> i don't like how much you got to pay for it these days you know it's it's somehow it's somehow both cheaper and more expensive it's it's weird if i would have told my like 15 year old self this would be the future of weed i wouldn't have I wouldn't have believed myself, you know. Um, so it, weed is somehow cheaper and more expensive. So the only problem I have with is I don't think we should pay for it. I think it should be free. But, you know. No, I don't think I had a, a – I mean, I do smoke weed every day. But it doesn't mm. cause it, – it didn't cause the problems in my life that drinking did, you know. I never yeah. – I never, I never it smoked It typically five. doesn't. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's a much less uh, – Yeah, I've never smoked five joints and wanted to die, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well i mean you, you know i mean that's it's the old college stoner uh i don't know cliche of yeah. you don't hear you know somebody getting high and starting a bar fight you don't hear anybody like yeah that, getting high and like that's killing never somebody, happened you know like yeah so you know oh reefer madness yeah that that whole thing like no nobody like gets stoned and and like slaps their family around or any any shit like that yeah, like, it yeah, just yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. really bring that out in people um, but I mean, 
Yeah, I've thought about that because I, I mean, I smoke pretty frequently, close to every day, I'd say. And for me, I mean, there there were times when I felt like I was smoking too much. And that was when I was like smoking during the day or yeah. like when I was at work or some shit. And, and it just felt like not even that this is going to cause a problem, but just, I didn't like the feeling of it coming around to like three in the afternoon. And I've been high, you know, <laughs> since like, since like 10, 10 o'clock. And like that feeling just like felt like, ugh, like I, I just, I feel, you know, yeah. like it just gross. So like, are, I think there the, are times in my life where I feel like I got to pull back yeah. a little bit, but no, I, uh, we, I don't think weeds ever caused me the problems that, alcohol has you know alcohol is the, and the other thing with me and alcohol is my my line or my limit like changes from day to day it's you know what i'm saying it's never never feels like it's a consistent thing like i can have two or three and be good sometimes two or three are too much sometimes it's nowhere near enough you know and that shit's unpredictable i i don't i don't like it being that on you know my my mental state or you know what i'm what i'm going to be like in the next several hours to be so unpredictable you know sometimes i'm the best person to hang out with and i'm fun and we go do all the things other times i'm mean and angry and i'm going to insult the fuck out of you mm. the entire time you know and i don't like being i don't like unpredictable person alley nobody likes that so yeah um so you'd say would you say that you uh deal with a lot of anger you know what? A few years ago, I would have told you no, that mm. I I didn't have um, a, an anger issue or whatever. I I just you know thought that every, every I, I had that feeling like everyone's coming for me, everyone's attacking me. I'm just defending myself, you know. Right. Being a being an only child to a single alcoholic mother, spending a lot of time outside the house, and you know. Like low key, like low key, a runaway, you know. Right, just, and it sounds like your mom maybe wasn't exactly chill with you being queer and everything. No, no, yeah. not at, so not at, not that. for many years. Yeah, not for many years. And there, there was just a lot of reasons why I just didn't want to be at my house. Yeah, you know, I was one of those kids who was um, homeless with the house. You know, mm. I, I can go home, but nobody wants to, right? And so I just there was just like a bunch of my friends who we would just hang out sometimes for days on end or several nights or just not go home and um when you're out when you're a when you're a kid on the street people will try you test you you know um, all sorts of creepy men and you know people would try to take advantage of you male yeah. and female and so i always had my guard up you know i could i can't trust my mom you know sometimes i can't trust my friends and i definitely can't trust no strangers so you know i developed what i thought was just me being tough but, uh, you know, and, and tough and taking care of myself. But yeah, yeah, I realized a lot of that was it was anger because I was sad. You know, uh, you know, anger is sadness is shield. It's easier to show the world you're angry or to be right. mad than it is to be sad and soft and vulnerable. So, yeah, I was depressed and hiding it with anger, you know, and I, I just didn't realize it because nobody gave me that framework. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I did suffer with anger problems or even maybe even not anger, just being short. I'm just very short sometimes. I still am, you know. Uh, mm. My girlfriend says I don't hang up the phone the right way. Oh, you just, you just <laughs> hang up? Sometimes I just hang up. I'm like, all right. Yeah, bye. no, I do that shit too. Like, and somebody like pointed that out to me. It was kind of near the beginning of, you know, it was like flip phone days. It was when we were all just sort of sussing out cell phone etiquette 
basically. Yeah. And like I was def- yeah. I was somebody who yeah, would yeah. say bye when I was on a landline, but for some reason it didn't like it didn't make the jump to cell phones because I was just like I just called you about this one little thing. Right. Like, hey, where's where's the cooler? You know, like, oh, okay, it's it's down here in the you know under the thing, and I was like, cool, got it, click, click, and, you yeah, because like, <laughs> I'm gonna talk to you in like five minutes. Like, I don't like I just see just need to say bye. I'm not saying bye. I'm gonna see you later. Like, it's it's you know, yeah, like it a just whole didn't, sign off. I need to do a whole sign off. On this yeah, it just didn't like to. I I guess to me that was more a symptom of being uh I don't know, maybe perhaps neurodivergent and uh socially kind of awkward um and and not realizing just how at the point at that point but yeah yeah but i still don't yeah, freaking, my, my, what's the point of hanging up like my, i mean my, my girlfriend just says i'm angry i i get angry and impatient with folks mm-hmm. and i definitely am an impatient person I, you know i de- i know that and so I, I i can see by extension me being impatient and short with people comes off a lot as anger well you fit in perfectly in new york then like that i do I think I do, right? I think but that's yeah, that's part of it. I, is I, the vibe of this city? My, my girlfriend's friends also. I feel like you know it's because my girlfriend's friends are so like nice and you yeah. know mindful, and they're not from other you know they're not from New York or whatever. You know they haven't grown up around here or whatever. So she's like, she's like, I feel like you're kind of, kind of being mean sometimes to my friends. I'm like, what? No, I love your friends. They're cool. And uh, she's like, well you're always short when you speak to people, you know? I'm like, oh, really? I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> like, I, I don't have to say about that. But yeah, I do realize that some of that is just an outcropping of me being uh, an aggressive or angry person sometimes uh, from from those remnants. And nowadays, you know, I'm, I'm, I see that in myself now. I see what people have called out or pointed out, and I can see how certain things might come off aggressive or whatever. So <laughs> I, I have, you know, whatever. But if, no. Yeah, uh, it might seem a little aggressive if you're kind of a little pussy or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I guess if you're a little bitch. Right? Right. No. No, but some of it's valid. So I am. I am working on that. And that was right. a good question. I that's the think. thing that's hard to know, though, is that, like, is this person just being a little too sensitive or am I kind of being an asshole? Because, I mean, I both yeah. have happened to me for sure. Yeah. And I, 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 I like to I assume that I'm being an asshole. But. Yeah, I I have a problem with, like, just assuming it's me all the time, too. Yeah. And that's also an outcropping of being an only child to a single, single mother because if something happened, yeah, it was me, you know? Even if it wasn't. Right. Even if it wasn't, it was still me. Yeah. So I, I've gotten, and this was the problem in my in my last relationship with my ex fiance was I was just gotten to the point of, uh, you know, if anything's wrong, it's my fault. Whether it is or it isn't, I just want the argument to stop. It's my fault. I'll fix it. It's my fault. And like half of this shit was her fault. Mm. You know. So. I, I know I shot myself in the foot there by taking on all the blame, and then not checking her when her when she needed to be checked you know right where do you where do you find that um where does your intuition on you know if you're the asshole or you're not the asshole where does that come from i mean i might just ask my girl like was that Mm. shitty but um (laughs) yeah that's a good way of doing it she's got a better, better barometer than me i think sometimes about if something's shitty or not 
Um, and also, if I feel like an interaction with you didn't come off the right way or whatever, um, I will change how I interact with you once or twice to see if that makes any difference. And if it don't, then it's you. Because, you know what I'm saying, then I'll make a conscious effort to to, to try something different. Yeah. That's a good approach. Um, yeah. But if, 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 if trying something different once or twice don't seem to change it, then I'm going to just assume that maybe maybe it's you, you know? Right. Um, that's so. a good that's a good way of doing it. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, again, in New York, you don't always get that second chance with somebody like there have been several times. You don't always times, get that second chance. There have been several times when I'm walking away from like getting into like a you know just you know the street argument the, the just like yeah. squabble with some stranger like hey fuck you man like you know whatever hey fuck you yeah <laughs> yeah uh that i actually really like and i think there's a part of me even as like a very polite midwesterner that i'm just so imbued sometimes with just so much like anger and hostility that it like i fit in better here than i do in a place like you know my hey hometown. i think sometimes sometimes a cathartic hey fuck you is good it's good yeah. you know what i really you know what i really like that i think honestly just needs to make a, a permanent comeback uh was the seven o'clock like shout that we all did during the pandemic right oh, yeah that was that was that was fun it was like at seven o'clock i knew to go out on my ceiling and bang a pot and just scream for a second you know yeah. i feel like we should just keep it doesn't that necessarily up. have to be a cheer it can just it can be like a scream of rage just a primal just, just a primal yell yeah just bang up make some noise and i think we should just there's a part of me that i want to that to keep happening and for to be maybe like new york specific right and like at every day at seven o'clock no matter where you are everybody just you know you have the option of just yelling for a second right um and then i wanted to, to do it for so long that it becomes so far removed from the original thing and just becomes a new york thing that and that when like visitors come to new york like make sure you scream at seven o'clock or else people know you're not from around here right, right? like why do you why does everybody scream at seven o'clock? I don't know. We just do it. Do it. You know, I want a right. hundred years from now for us to not even know. Uh, it felt <laughs> good. It felt good to do that. And I just think if every New Yorker just had um, just two minutes to yell every day, it'd be great. We'd be great. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't know. I've I uh, started kickboxing. I've been kickboxing uh, mostly for fitness, but uh, and, you know, not like uh, competitively or anything like that. Yeah. But I... Even though I'm fairly new at it, I'm I'm like such a uh, advocate for it for everybody. Like that, yeah. that I just think that like you walk around with more tension and hostility in you than you know, and to just like throw your fists at a bag is yeah, yeah. like you're gonna if if it's if it's for you, there more is gonna come out of you than you think, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and you're gonna surprise yourself. I think the problem with our society is that we don't have enough safe and healthy outlets for anger, mm -hmm. right? When you're sad, there's lots of things they tell you to do to cheer up and to be, you know, or how to feel your feelings or whatever and, you know, investigate that sadness or whatever. When you're happy, there's plenty of things to do when you're happy, you know. But, you know, what do you do to to express anger in a healthy way or in a physical way that that's not actually fighting somebody right right um of course you know going to the gym and getting that out or you know practicing some some sort of martial art or fighting technique is great but we really just need to have more more of those like what is those those the anger rooms the smash rooms yeah 
or whatever and and you know i am totally for just breaking something smashing something getting the anger out the problem is is you know especially for me i was i was angry or i was happy Mm. that's it i had two emotions i'm angry or i'm happy and if i'm angry you did something you know right if i'm if i'm angry you did something i'm gonna fuck you up for it right um i i didn't understand how to you know that there's there's different types of anger or any of that i didn't understand any of that Mm. so Mm. i i think i think we're we're all too stunted with anger in our in our lives and then that's when it blows up on a random person on the street that's when it you right. know manifests as a road rage or you know because most people when you when something happens to you on the street you're not ma- necessarily mad at the thing that happened on the street you know it's yeah. something else that boiled up you know yeah and that was the catalyst you know yeah i'm, I'm almost never really as mad as i am as, at that person you know so, no, yeah, you're walking around with a bajillion things, you know, like just just the world and and yeah. the the evils of the world and your own stresses and your own fears and your own shortcomings. Yeah, and, you know, just like everything. So there's like, got to be we got as a society, we got as a society figure out more healthy physical outlets for your anger. I I remember, and I love this. I remember reading somewhere about like protests or whatever and the phrase was anger is an energy mm-hmm. right anger is an energy force when you're angry you do things that you probably didn't know you were capable of both positive and negative right and i love that anger is an energy and you got to channel energy somewhere or it builds up and it and when it builds up it's you know that you know the energy could be explosive it could be dangerous or whatever so any emotion we have to have i think physical outlets for as well you know what do you do when you're sad you cry that's a physical thing and when you're done crying you almost always feel a little bit better yeah I mean, you know how people use New York as their gym, and you see they got you know people jog, but you see people like doing pull-ups on the uh, mm-hmm. on the crosswalks and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we should just also have punching bags on every. I seen that one time. Did you see that? Just, just public punching bags. There was an art thing that someone did. It was around. Oh, I remember seeing it on my way to the Callum Lord Clinic. So it was maybe around seventeen or eighteen. 18th street or whatever and there were punching bags on the stoplights on every corner that you could just punch and i remember punching it and some lady telling me she's like you don't know what's behind that like you know you could punch it and there's like a, a razor blade in it right. or whatever but i was just like this is a great idea though yeah i that there i i'm gonna i feel like re- that would look- be really hard to yeah that'd be really hard to regulate safety wise because it'd be really hard right, to regulate safety wise yeah. but it, it was a great idea like if we could figure that out yeah absolutely i mean you had the same idea and didn't even know it was actually happening i think it was just a, I, I think it was just an art thing because i'm pretty sure it's not there now right um and somebody was just doing something artistic or whatever but i remember it being there for like a week or two wow that's a good yeah, idea so um, so anger's a thing. Um, drinking too much is a thing. What else you got? You got, you got a depression, you got an anxiety, you got an OCD, you got any of those? Uh, well, yeah, I think depression and anxiety, like a lot of times go hand in hand, mm-hmm. you know, they're two um, sides you, of the same. Two point. sides. Yeah. 
two sides of the same coin. I think they go hand in hand. So yeah, I definitely deal with depression and anxiety. And um, I mean, I don't think I have any OCD things or anything like that. Mm. I um, I don't know. I've I've I, I vacillate between. You know, I think I have some narcissistic tendencies. Hmm. You know, I, I, I we talked about this on my podcast too. How we I was just over, listening to that one. Yeah, how we overuse a lot of you know medical terms or whatever. I yes. don't think I'm a narcissist. I think I have narcissist qualities that I've learned from my narcissist parents. You know. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think out of my parents, I think my father is the narcissist, and then my mother picked a lot of those habits as protection. Yeah. You know? um, Can you protection. describe what the relationship was like then with, you know, having a, a narcissistic parent? Because that's a that's a whole fucking thing. Well, both of them are, but they never were. And I think the problem with them is they were already divorced when I was born. Um, I was a miracle baby in the fact that they had given <laughs> given up. Mm. <laughs> and then I popped up at the last minute. Um, but, you know. Uh, here's one thing that pisses me off about my father often. I can never just get a gift from him without him having like tried it out first. So when I was younger, I would get he would send me video games or whatever and stuff. The video game was already like taken out of the plastic. He already played it, you know. <laughs> and, and like you remember on cartridges, like the, the game saves on the cartridge. Right. So right? you had his saves on. <laughs> So I would turn on the game and it's already finished sometimes, right? And he would he would say, "I'm just playing it to make sure it's appropriate for you before uh, I send yeah, it." I'm right. like, "I'm like, there's a rating system, right? There's a there's a rating system, you know." Um, so he would play my video games before he would get them, uh, before I would get them, or certain toys or something would be opened and he'd play with it before. I'm like, "You're why? Why are you doing this?" You know. And the very last, the very most recent thing that pissed me off was I was back in the hospital. Um, for my ankle a month ago and he showed up at the hospital two times neither time did he bring me anything you know typically when you see somebody at the hospital you bring them flowers or get well card or you ask them hey you hungry you want me to bring you something both times he showed up without anything the second time I told him go get me some some Burger King go get me something right and when he came and I was like I want a water but I want a bottle of water when he came back my bottle of water was sipped out of already Ugh. I'm like what like, I was gonna say, I hope he like never brings you food or anything. Like brings you like a burger with a bite out of it and shit. Yes, D yes. He's like, I was just making sure it wasn't poisoned. It's shit like that, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't get it, you know. So that's that's one thing I absolutely hate it. And then uh, you rarely get an apology from these people, you know, either from my hmm. mom or from my dad. They they like to buy stuff. They buy stuff. That's a that's the apology. They, they buy things, and I think that's kind of a narcissist thing. I don't have to apologize to you. Just here. Here's more stuff that you should be thankful for. You know, well, At least you get stuff. Yeah, well, you know what? That kept me from realizing I was abused, actually. Yeah. Because I was, the I, like I said, single child, you know, or only child to a single mother. And so my mom spoiled me. You know, my mom and my dad spoiled me. My dad would send me all the video games. I was one of the first kids in the neighborhood to have, you know, the cool game or something like that. My dad would send me cool fashion from New York. So, like, I'd have, like, stuff that would take another month or two to get down to Virginia or whatever. And yeah. my mom would spoil me and stuff like that. I, you know, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the house everybody wants to come to after school because I got the good snacks and the video games. And my mom is fun. But then, like, she would, she would, you know, beat me or, uh, uh, you know, or talk down to me or 
some really extreme things, you right. know. Um, and I would, I didn't realize at first it was even abuse because, like, I just thought I, I had been told or I had thought that I was being a problem child. So I'm like, yeah, my mom's really mean and really strict, but it's my fault, mm. you know. That was that was some of my initial thinking for a long time, um, and then you know my friend, my, even my friends would be like, you know, I'd tell my friends like, hey, you know, my mom did X Y Z to me. She made me sleep in the bathtub the last week or whatever, and they're like, well, you know, your mom's just cool, yo. What the fuck is wrong with you? What are you doing? You know, and like oh, even my friends, yeah. God, she she won them over. Yeah, for a long time, even wow. my friends were like. Yo, you're 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 being you're being bad, and so it took me until somewhere into my twenties to realize that there was no reason for her to treat me like that, no matter what I did. You know what I'm saying? And I wasn't I wasn't a wild or out of control teenager. I was a regular teenager, and she just didn't know what to do with that beyond extreme punishments. Right. You know, so yeah, it took me a, a while to even realize that, you know, because also I had, I never, what I thought abuse was, was I wasn't hungry. My clothes were fine. I wasn't dirty or wearing, you know, shitty clothes and right. stuff. And I eat every night. I eat good every night. And, uh, you know, so it was one of those things where it's like, you know, she's just mean sometimes. Mm. So, yeah, getting every, getting everything isn't all cracked up to what you, you know, what you think it is. Yeah. Because wow. also she would she would use things as as manipulation, you know, like well, you don't get this anymore. You know? So even having stuff, you know, sometimes is fleeting because she would find a reason to be upset, whether it was a legitimate upset or not, and then come for my things. Yeah. You don't get you don't get to have nice things um if you're if you're messing up. So go sleep in the bathtub, you know? Right. Wow. And then go get good grades at school tomorrow. <laughs> Were you good in school? That's what actually saved me a lot. Was that even when I was like cutting school and skip, skipping school a lot and being a little juvenile delinquent, I I had devised ways to uh, to keep my grades up or you know at least keep them passing or whatever. I was I, I was consistently on the um, B average honor roll. So it's B average is for every C you have. You have to have a matching A in another course or something like that. And then your average works out to you're an A, B honor roll student. Um, so I was on B average honor roll a lot. I mean, and I just, I just thought I was being smart because if the teacher assigns you chapters one and two, just go ahead and read three and four and you can skip them days, you know? And so I would be able to skip class for several days and then come back and like ace a quiz. And in fact, that was what got me in trouble one time because one of these other girls was was jealous. You know, she, she's in class every day and failing somehow, you know, and I'm almost never there. I show up on quiz and test day or I come in to turn in a paper and you haven't seen me all week, you know, and she snitched on me one time because I came to class drunk and drunk doing the quiz. I got a better grade than her because, you know, you got to pass the, 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 the pa pass your paper to what somebody else to grade. Yeah. So we swapped papers. Her shit was all fucked up. My shit was, a, you know, a B plus or whatever. And she's like, you haven't been here all week. And I'm like, and you have been here all week. What is wrong with you? And she's like, are you drunk? I'm like, shut your fuck up. You know, I'm like, yeah, I am. But You're I'm doing drunk. my work. You know, I'm like, yeah, but I'm yeah. doing my work. What's wrong with you? And she snitched on me. So, 
Yeah, but I did good in school. I always did good in school, um, even though I had to go to alternative programs a couple of times. You know, when you get put out of your regular school, but not bad enough to go to juvie, they send you to that school that's kind of juvie. Yeah. So, yeah, I had to go to alternative school three out of four years of my of, of high school or whatever for drugs and alcohol related bullshit. Never fighting. People, most people go to alternative school there because they're fighting or something like that or, you know, they're fucking with the teachers and stuff. Yeah. I was just there because I'm like, I don't like my house. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I went to I went to alternative school three times. And the, the one year that I didn't, I was 11th grade. And I, I had like some 50 some write ups. They were supposed to, you know, they were supposed to send me away after like 20 some. I had 50 some write ups. My, my folder was thick. <laughs> Elsa Eli Waith. This was great. Yes. Uh, we have to wrap up, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, this has been great, though. Yeah, this no, I, like I actually good. had a hard out. I asked you about a hard out, but I actually, like, we, we got to go eat and stuff. But um, this was awesome. And, um, you know, uh, thank you for being on the show. Uh, let's do let's do plugs. Tell me, tell us about your podcast and and where to find you. Yeah, okay. So you can find you're fine. It's it's spelled it's spelled properly, you guys. It's it's not Y O U R. It's Y O U apostrophe R E. You're fine. Uh, you can find that on Spotify or anywhere. Actually, you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, so, I do um, find you have to put the apostrophe in, otherwise my podcatcher doesn't find it. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I've I found that this is why I'm you know clarifying that because I do know um, sometimes it works for me on Spotify where I don't have to put the apostrophe in. Sometimes it doesn't, but make you know just go ahead and type that in the right way. And then um, also uh, you could check out my history project. That's uh, Slavers of New York, um, as featured in the New York Times and as featured in Inside Edition. Uh, And I'm going to be at the Tribeca Films Festival on Saturday, recording a live podcast there. So watch my socials. You can you can find that. Find me on Twitter at Elsa, just Elsa. All three words, because if you just do just Elsa, then that's that's frozen. And that's not me. Elsa, just Elsa. (laughs) I did not realize um when i made the twitter handle that it was going to confuse people you didn't realize you were born that you were going to share a name with a disney princess i didn't realize that either and i also didn't realize that uh when making that profile it doesn't work the same way on paper that it does verbally Mm. Mm. (laughs) so yeah elsa just elsa all three words all right well thank you so much thank you for having me this was a great time and you know um i'm uh, wish you luck on your mental health journey. And Thank you. Anybody, anybody else listening, luck on your mental health journey and don't be afraid to get help. Thank you once again to Elsa Eli Waith for being on the show. Uh, it's a fun guest. And uh, hope I get to, you know, uh, meet them in person and, and, and see them perform and, you know, have a, have a further discussion. Um, yeah, that's the thing with these, these short hour long things where you just meet the person, you know, for the first time usually, and you, you, you feel like you're finally establishing a vibe and then up time's up, you know, is what it is. There's more to be had. I think, um, let's, let's wish them a speedy recovery. Uh, their ankles all fucked up. My toes all fucked up. We're all just gimpy here. You can follow me 
at Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow this show, Self Worst, at Self Worst on Instagram. Post updates about the show and uh, some depression memes and shit like that. It's fun. Follow it. Um, thank you to Shea Bartel for the music. Once again, rate and review on iTunes, please. Uh, leave a little rating. Leave a leave a five star rating. That'd be chill. Tell a friend. Tell your craziest friends um, about this show. All your all your depressed, sad, anxious, annoying friends. They'll like it. Um, and patreoncom slash worst uh, kick in some money. Help me, help me with my foot. I had to pay some doctor's bills. I'm out of work for a minute. Help a guy out. You know? I, I'm... I, I broke a thing. I did a thing this week. I broke a bone. What did you do? Alright. I'm getting out of here. My back hurts now because I've had my foot up for so long. It's all falling apart. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you.